Hey, 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 Who fans, and welcome to the Big Blue Box Podcast. My name's Gary. My name's Adam. And this is episode 365. Yeah. Dancing a bit too hard there. I've got a headache. Look like two Silurians dancing, wobbling their heads. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Big Big Box Podcast. Thank you for coming back and listening to another episode. Or if this uh, if this is your first one, if you're fresh to the show, then welcome aboard. It's good to have you here. Hope you're all keeping well and safe, and that you've managed to have uh, a cracking week, and that you've all managed to do something Doctor Who. Doctor Who related. Related. That was a good one. Mm. 365 is here dude not much news to go through nothing dear who fan dear listener um but we have um uh there's been some uh there's been a couple of uh i don't know whether we should talk about it or not there's been some stuff adam filled me in this morning that's been going on on the old twitter and stuff don't know whether to go through that or not but uh if not we're going to smash straight into our review of let's do the full title doctor who and the Silurians. Mm, yeah, big old whopping seven-parter. A seven-parter, eh? Mm. Yep, that's definitely... It's one of those... When we decided on this one, in my head, I already knew it was going to be a, a blanket on the sofa with lots of supplies. <laughs> so yeah. a couple of drinks, a cup of tea, some snacks. Get comfy, because you won't be moving your ass off the sofa for a little while. So that's all good. Uh, before we crack on with all of that stuff, remember to follow or subscribe in your preferred podcast app of choice. You can find us on all those things. Just head over to bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk forward slash listen um, or just do a search for the Big Blue Box in any of those things. You'll find us on there. We'd love to have you as a, as a follower so you don't miss a show when it lands every single Friday. And you can also listen for free on our website, which is bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk. Also, we're on the socials, links on the website. We uh, chat Doctor Who throughout the week, so come and follow us on there. And we have a very cool free Discord server as well. You can find the link to that on the website. We have loads of very, very cool Who fans in our Discord community. None of the toxic rubbish that you see that, you know, explodes on, on the socials and stuff. Mm. All of our Discord family are very, very cool, very just down-to-earth, chilled um, but very cool who fans so hop in there and have some good combo they chat everything in there um, i don't have the time to sit in there all day obviously but when i do go in there there's always loads of chat about merchandise new doctor who that's on big finish uh, events the whole thing so um to come and jump in and and do that uh, also don't forget to remember to check out <laughs> my right my co-host channel uh, he's got probably one of the biggest youtube channels uh, <laughs> in the UK, um, I wish <laughs> it's uh, it's called the Geeks Handbag. Oh, jeez! I wish it was the biggest. I could live off it. I could ne- never have to work again. Uh, <laughs> actually, I, I've spent the last two weeks uh, filming a new video. Um, <laughs> so, and it's still not finished. And I'm thinking, like, this will probably only get a few hundred views if I'm lucky. Why am I putting myself through this? But <laughs> so it should be out. Actually, oh, if I if I manage to get myself in gear, it should be out the day this podcast comes out so please go and watch my new video it's a review of the um doctor who vinyl uh celestial toy maker and also there's a blake seven vinyl i've done the two together and um 
Yeah, it's it, it, it's probably one of those reviews thing. Oh, that sounds a bit dull. It's it, honestly, I it, I'm really pleased with the video. I've spent so long on it, and the vinyls are gorgeous. So go and have a look at that and all my other videos. There's m- loads on there. I've been a YouTuber for years, for years, years, years. Yeah, yeah. Adam's on the socials too, by the way, under the same name, the Geeks Handbag. So as long as you're nice and not a dick, then go and follow him and <laughs> chat Doctor Who and all other things, which are all sci-fi and entertainment and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So go and do that. Uh, Doctor Who magazine just landed, dude. Tell me about it. Apparently, it's a really good one. It is a good one, yes. I mean, it's got a cracking cover on it. It's got the new logo on it. It's got the new diamond logo on it. Oh, I love that. Do you know what? A very quick shout out as well to um, uh, the dudes over at Radio Free Scaro, which is, um, Mm -hmm. I think that must be the longest running Doctor Who podcast, if I'm not mistaken. I could be mistaken. I think it is. Mm. Anyway, their new um, show logo uses that. Yeah. It looks very, very cool. So uh, we see what you did there. And we, we mm-hmm. like it. We like it. <laughs> <laughs> it looks it looks good. I love the the diamond logo. I think it's iconic. Um, great picture of David on the front of the mag as well. Really nice artwork. And it's a great issue actually. I mean, Doctor Who magazine. Um, I'm a subscriber. I've been for like forever, like since I was a kid. It's kind of tradition with me. Um, I'll be honest. It has been flagging a little bit over the last uh, couple of years. I think even the sort of um, you know the, the people who put it together have said they've struggled uh, in terms of getting any sort of uh, pictures from the BBC or stuff they can use uh, for the for the sort of Jodie Chibnall era. Um, they Magazine sales have dropped, so they couldn't afford the comic strip over the last sort of few months. They said, you know, sorry, we can't pay artists when we don't have the budget or we not, haven't got the sales to justify it. Uh, and the comic strip, although it sounds like a small thing, that's been part of Doctor Who for magazine for like forever. It's kind of real sort of tradition with the magazine. So that was a shame. Anyway, they have bounced back with a cracker this month and I urge everyone to pick it up. So it, not only is the comic strip back, which is great to see, and it's the first one with, wow, he's officially the 14th Doctor, isn't he, David Tennant? And I Russell's guess. confirmed he's yeah. the 14th. Mm-hmm. Um, bizarrely, the comic strip picks up straight after the regeneration which you might think okay fair enough but that makes me think is this a is this quite an important comic strip is this something we're not going to see on screen is this like you know canon media that uh, is in the comic rather than on tv because it yeah it picks up straight from the regeneration and he goes in the tardis and i won't say any more but yeah carry you know goes on an adventure so i'm thinking be interested i i feel like when dotsy comes back with its first special with david it's going to be like a real clean start. It's just going to bang straight into the episode. I don't think we're going to be back on that cliff top. So if you want to know what happens after the cliff top, it looks like you're going to have to get Doctor Who magazine. Um, but there's loads of other good stuff in it this month. There's there's like uh, behind the scenes pictures of of David's doing the regeneration with uh, well not with Jodie. She she was they filmed her a bit months before, but she's in there and lots of behind the scenes stuff. Um, just loads mate it's it's a real jam-packed issue uh russell's in there talking about how he decided to go and approach the bbc how he wanted to come back apparently um so he said he approached the bbc and said look i've during lockdown been chatting to david and and, uh, Catherine, and we've been having a laugh and we've been discussing ideas and i just think it would be crazy if we come back and did this and the bbc probably snatched his hand off i would imagine so thought what rtd david tennant and Catherine tate they're not going to shut the door on them, are they? You know, it's like, they're just not. Can you imagine? Who else did they have on the table? Like, who, who you know, it, yeah. there was, they're, not gonna, they're not going to yeah. do that. So they're back. And so, yeah, he talks all about that and why he's back. And um, yeah, there, a lot of stuff kicked off on Twitter because he talks about why David regenerated into his new outfit rather than 
being in Jody's outfit. A lot of mm. people upset about that. Um, so he talks about that. And um, the thing is, just to say, I mean, a, a lot of people are sort of saying, even when it aired, that was a strange decision. But it has happened before. I mean, uh, Hartnell went to Troutman, the clothes regenerated with him it's not a new thing river mm. song when she re- regenerated from was it mel's what was the character called? It was, was it mel's, mel's i think that yeah. she regenerated to river um her costume it's not a new thing the doctor's shoes in legopolis um shrank and changed into sort of brown clogs uh between the fourth and fifth doctor uh, although i think that was more of a continuity error so not a new thing but anyway yes there's a lot of drama around that um it's just a great issue, mate. And it's really the only thing I've done because having this great big seven-parter to watch, like you, I've snuggled down with a blanket because it's getting cold and we can't afford the heating <laughs> on over here in the UK. True story. True story. Uh, so, yeah, I was the same as you. I was, like, wrapped up in a blanket and two tops, two, two or three different tops, uh, watching this all all through the week. So I haven't really had a chance to, for much else, to be fair. I read you. Do you know what, dude? That was the um, one of the blessings of the modern digital viewing age is that I didn't have to get my ass off the sofa to go and put, <laughs> you know, to go and do that stuff with the DVD player yeah. or the Blu-ray player. I just had BritBox fired up, the episode finished, and then the credits roll, and then it just, the next one just says playing in seven seconds, whatever counts down, and it just goes yeah. straight in. It's lovely. It and is lovely. Like, skip intros? Def- certainly not. Not on a poetry episode then. <laughs> yeah, skip all of them, and then play at double speed. <laughs> to get through it nice and quick jobs are good and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> controversial controversial um but yeah but guys don't be a dick on twitter come on come on we're better than this we are as a as a fandom and as a community doctor who fans we have to be better than this right let's not let's not be like star wars fans let's not be like well over the last year let's not be like lord of the rings fans. let's not do that there's no need to do that Twitter's a cesspit, mate. And I think it, yeah. it's, it's, it seems to be going out the window anyway now that a lot of people are leaving now that Musk... Is that his name? Musk? Elon. Yep. <laughs> Elon. Yep. Now he's taken over. A lot of people are jumping off it. So I only ever post pictures of my merch on it anyway. So I'm not really... I don't really get involved in the mm-hmm. the, the spats, you know, well, or the a, fighting. Well, it's a, it's a thing now, isn't it? It seems to be... Yeah, let's not get into it too deep. But, you know, mm. it seems to be a thing. Like, you know, if you've got an opinion on something then it seems that the way to do it these days is not to respectfully and to, you know, open up conversation to, uh, you know, to talk about why your opinion is different to somebody else's. It seems to be the thing that you insult them first Hmm. and then you tell them how their opinion is wrong and then you tell them your opinion and then you back that up with another insult. That seems to be the path of the course these days. So let's not do that, peeps. Come on. If you've uh, if you don't like something that Russell T Davis has said on Twitter or Instagram, then you don't like it. That's fine. That's absolutely cool that you don't like that. But you don't have to call him every name under the sun and tell him that the work that you absolutely cherished and loved for many years on Doctor Who is now worthless and he's a a beep and a beep and a beep and all the rest of it. Come on people. Come on. Let's not do that. So anyway, yeah, I didn't see any of this anyway, dude, on, on the tweets or anything, but mm. you filled me in. So, um, yeah, if there's any of our listeners that are that are, um, that are are on the socials and stuff, and I know most of you are, especially around the Big Blue Box Twitter following, everyone that we speak to on Twitter normally. And as I mentioned in our Discord, it's 
we have lovely, lovely Who, Who fans and, and stuff like that. So we're very fortunate because we know of a few content creators do that really get it hard, mm. really get it hard. So, um, and you know that we don't put up with that anyway. If we ever have any of that, there's only been a few occasions where we've had people kick off for whatever reason on our Twitter and so on. We do not put up with that mm. at any point. So, um, yeah, let's all be. Yeah, it sounds very um, Miss United States, but you know, let's all be nice to each other. Let's all be. Let's all be. It good. would be nice, wouldn't it? Would be nice if we could be nice. <laughs> it would be yes. So that's our. That's um. We need a little jingle for this, don't we? That's our good Doctor Who message of the day. Yeah. Anyways, I've done nothing Doctor Who other than start off a new rewatch, dude. I'm going to watch the whole thing in the run up to next year's kickoff. The whole thing? Yes, I'm two episodes in already. So I did An Unearthly Child and The Daleks. So I'm two stories no in. No way. Yeah. I'm going to watch every, every freaking episode of Doctor Who <laughs> up until the new stuff starts next year. So I've got a bit of time, which is good, but I do need to get my foot down. Have you watched the yeah. pilot? Like the original? No. Untransmit. No. Honestly, go back. I actually prefer the pilot. It's, yes, where yeah. the, it's where the TARDIS doors get stuck and keep banging when they're trying and they, ca- they carry on. They just car- carry on. Don't worry about the doors banging in the back of the scene. We'll sort it out. Just carry on saying your lines. Uh, I love the pilot, mate. It's, um, I think I'd slightly prefer it actually because Hartnell's a lot more wild in the pilot. They, 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 t- they sort of, st- well, he's quite wild in the transmitted version, but in the pilot, they sort of tried, um, they softened him down a little bit in the one that was transmitted. He's a little bit more erratic in the in the pilot version. And the TARDIS looks clean. It always amazes me. The first shot of the TARDIS prop oh, yeah. looks so brand mm-hmm. new and clean. And then you see it in the version that was transmitted where they reshot it. And it, it's as if like they've dug it out the bin, isn't it? It's absolutely filth. Uh, <laughs> I love the pilot, mate. If you get, I know you probably. Well, if you if you're watching them all, you probably won't have time. And you've, I know you've said it before anyway. But I love the pilot. It's a cool. It is a cool take on the the version that you think is the the original one. Yeah, um, I was going to say just yeah. to clarify, I'm not talking about the Stephen Moffat. No, 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 no. Episode no. the pilot. It always annoyed me that he called it the pilot because I'm like, no, we've we've got we've already got a pilot, <laughs> Stephen. Call it something else. Yeah, I'm talking about the original unearthly child episode that was shot and then they they went back and reshot the whole episode really unusual actually when you think about that but i i love the fact that it's that it's amazingly still in the bbc archive and that it's on you know you can actually watch it on the dvd um and you can watch alternative takes as well and also barbara when she goes first goes into the tardis is so much better in the pilot because she actually goes through the doors into the tardis instead of that juddery cut that's in the transmitter there's a lot of good stuff in the pilot version all right yeah. jesus yeah, well, I have just, you I just forgotten how much I loved it. Oh, I might go and watch it myself. Here we go. This is what generally happens, Who fans. Especially when Adam and I meet up. I'm like, oh, I watched this episode the other day. He's like, no, you didn't. You needed to have watched this one and watched it properly <laughs> and do all this stuff. I'm like, oh, here yeah. we go. Yeah, I've already ruined your watch along. <laughs> Sorry. <Yeah. laughs> and don't forget yeah. to watch Paradise Towers with the alternative music. The alternative. <laughs> <laughs> okay so what i'll do then is i'll message you in the morning and say i'm planning on watching these episodes firstly is that all right with you and secondly should i be watching a certain cut yeah the um the anthony colburn cut or something you know good times anyway so i'm going to be re-watching all of doctor who as we go through because it's a great you know we do complain 
sometimes that there's massive gaps between mm-hmm. new series. And I know it's kind of different now because we have a whole new changeover of showrunner and production company, everything like that, as you would expect. But we do seem to have massive, massive gaps between um, certain series these these days, these years. So although it's um, it sucks that we're not going to get any new Doctor Who until probably quite late into next year that mm. does give a nice a nice chunky window to watch all of um all of who so yeah it'd be good it's a good time to do it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. righty then enough waffle it's review time dude what we got <laughs> Ooh, the wobbly <laughs> head uh, yeah so this week bit of a pertwee action um with the story doc 2 and the and the silurians <laughs> Forthwith to Wendy Moore. We are on the verge of discovering a way to provide cheap, safe atomic energy. What is going wrong? Someone has been carrying out a planned, deliberate program of sabotage on the inside. It's like a reptile, but it walked upright. There are two kinds of creature down in that cave the large and ferocious one, the smaller, much more intelligent kind that controls the first. The species is dangerous and hostile. We should kill them all. Unless you Silurians tell us what you want, the humans will destroy you. We ruled this world millions of years ago. I want there to be peace between you and the humans. This is their planet now. Soon we shall revive our civilization and reclaim the Earth for ourselves. Ooh. Ooh. Those angry Silurians. Good trailer, that one. Mm. So, Doctor Who and the Silurians. I love that that's the full title. Yeah. We should have everything have Doctor Who and the something. Yeah. It harks back to like it when when they have Doctor Who and the in the title of anything. It really just gives that lovely warm feeling of like a good old worn Target book. I was just thinking that, funny enough. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah Target books and the. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, Doctor Who and the Silurians was first released back on the 31st of January, 1970. And then the seventh part, the last bit, went out on the 14th of March, 1972. Uh, Then we have um, it written by Malcolm Hook. It was overseen by Terence Dix and directed by Timothy Coombe. And it stars... um, the the third doctor john pertwee as you all know in his second story as the doctor with liz shaw played by caroline john and a pretty substantial supporting cast in this one loads of names of course nick courtney as the brigadier and then a bunch of other people that we'll get on to forthwith so the the silent we'll just say the silurians from here on in so dude the silurians what are your initial thoughts on this uh, big old seven part of them I, I love this one, mate. I think this is the epitome of a classic. I really think it's a classic story, and even being seven episodes, I think it. Um, I think it, it manages to hold its own. Uh, it, it, no doubt, it would benefit from being trimmed up to a, to a six parter. I mean, cause there's, the thing is, there's a lot going on, and there's some really good dialogue. I think that's what helps to sort of get through the seven parts you know there's 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 enough going on i think but if it had been trimmed a little and and taken back to six i think it would have really benefited but it's it's still for me works fine as a seven parter i i really enjoy it um and i maybe i watched it like two two and three so maybe if i watched it all in one go it'd be a bit hard going but it wasn't designed to be watched like that so yeah i think it's good i think it's a good story 
I think the design of the um, Silurians is is classic. Uh, I really love the design of them. I think it's bizarre the head wobble thing, but it, it, you know I love it. Um, and I think most of all the cast are taking the story very seriously. I think the re- the cast really make this story work. So overall, yeah, it's a, it's a good one, and uh, I haven't watched it for quite a while. So I was thinking. Oh, is this going to be a bit hard going? Because I know I, I know that it's one that I like, but I couldn't remember if it dragged a lot in places. And I was quite—I found it quite a nice watch. I didn't really didn't find myself getting bored at all. Actually, in in over the entire seven episodes, there were there were perhaps the odd moment where I thought, you know, this could have been cut or this. I think it's episode six actually. There's a bit where the play's going around and the scenes do feel a little bit drawn out. I think that was the only time when I actually felt like, yeah, you know, you can see this is being dragged out a little bit. But for the most part, mate, I thought it was a great, great story. And I thought the cast were great. And uh, especially Pertwee, I thought he was absolutely fantastic in this story. So, yeah, I I think it's a really good one. And uh, I think um, a lot of people will be put off because it's a seven-parter. And I would say, if you like Classic Who, this this is a great story. Yeah. What do you reckon? Hmm. Yeah, uh, I do think this is a very cool classic story. Really like this one. Um, I was a bit bored, though. I will be honest, dude. Really? Okay. Yeah, I was a bit bored. I think as a seven-parter, I think this could have really nicely been a four-parter, you know. Well, it would have been a cracking four-parter. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. because I think a lot of people would say, well, actually... Maybe just one episode short would have been a, would have been better than a six part. But I think even that is a stretch for me, purely because, and this is nothing new to Classic Who with these anything that's longer than a few parts. It, it we do have a bit of a bit of padding because some of the middle episodes, there's only really one event that you're focused on in that in those middle episodes. The rest of it is just an extension of the stuff that you've already seen in the previous episode. Mm. What I mean by that is, um, as an example, the episode when the Doctor goes down into the caves. That's like the event for that episode. I think that's what, episode three, I think? Episode three. Yeah. Um, that's the event for that episode. The, all the stuff that happens around that, it's just all the stuff we've already seen. So it's it's the it's the moody scientist that's like, I'm unhappy with you, Brigadier, and your performance and what unit is up to. And the Brig's like, all right, cool. Glad you feel that way. See you later. And then that same scene happens in the next episode and then the next one and then the next one. So you kind of, for me, it was like, there was like one cool thing that happened in each of the middle episodes. Don't get me wrong. Episode six and seven, uh, especially episode seven was very, very good. Mm. Very cool. Um, And the stuff that happens in the middle was just recycling some of the conversations and some of the bits that are happening. Um, So the bits that I thought, were standout which were very cool bear in mind this is pertwee's second story right was this um was this filmed as in chronologically his second uh, uh i don't know actually to be honest i can't remember i yeah I, I did research a little bit last week but um so yeah so bear in mind this is pertwee's second story as the doctor and uh he's pretty cool he's he, he's pretty sweet already as as the doctor mm. he's got that really nice kind of um confidence about him that he doesn't put up with any nonsense from the brigadier already and he doesn't put up with anybody giving him orders or telling him what so he's got that real really classic james bondy kind of confidence about him which is great and um 
so I really like Pertwee as as the Doctor in this one. We'll get into that in more detail in a second. But um, the the virus plague stuff I thought was really cool how they did that. Yeah. So the guy was it Masters, who's the the dude that's there to inspect everything, and um, you know Jeffrey Palmer, his character. Um, yes. So he's there to inspect everything, and he he knows that you know stuff's going down. It's not right, and he recommends they close it all down. But unbeknownst to him. That, um, the guy that's come back up from the caves has been infected by the Silurians and he's passed that virus. And as we knew he would do, unit are not going to catch him in time. So he's walking through a busy London train station and then he's bumping into everybody. So this thing's spreading. I thought that was very, very cool because to me, that was an extra bit that raised the stakes a little bit. It wasn't just a case of you have a monster or an alien saying, I want to destroy the human race or the planet. And on the other hand, you've got the Doctor saying, no, I'm not going to let you do that. And inevitably, the Doctor stops them and saves the day. There was like an added element to it. It was like, yes, there is this situation to deal with with the Silurians. And the Doctor's trying to very be very tactful and political and about it. He doesn't want them to be destroyed. But then you've got this virus and stuff. And then the other bit that was cool was um, it really felt like the Doctor was in... Um, in control for most of it bar a couple of bits where he's trying to work out a cure for the disease you know he's in the lab and he's testing the bloods and mm. and he's doing all that stuff he's getting a bit frustrated and then the other bit obviously is when he's been locked up down in the cave by the silurians you know he felt like he was a little bit sort of up against it then but for the most part like i said his kind of confidence about things and the way he did things so overall very good story very cool love john pertwee but a bit paddy and a little bit boring it's weird to say because i'm not sitting there thinking oh god i'm i wish i wasn't watching this it was more mm. just of a oh, okay we've seen we've seen this bit before like i just want to get through this bit and then we can get on to you know a better scene but mm. yeah overall not too bad dude i, I do yeah I, do, I totally get that actually no, you know, now you mentioned it about there's definitely bits where they're <laughs> going through the same things. There's, there's, I think towards the sort of latter part of the story, there's a bit of time where they're sat around the tables. And uh, so I, I get that totally. I think, yeah, I mean, it's just so long since I watched it. I think I was just quite in, enjoying it. But I, I think if I was to, yeah, if I was to sort of, I think I have to be in the mood for it, I suppose. You know, I mean, there are a lot of Pertwee stories that are, are real. They're either six or seven parts, and I find them very hard going. You know, after about the first two or three episodes, I'm like, oh, dear. Um, I can never remember the name of the story. There's one that I oh, find it so hard to get through. Is it Colony in Space? or I'm not sure. There's There's one. And I always get it mixed up with another Pertwee story. So that I really find hard work. Like you said, I find myself sat there thinking, I am not really enjoying this. Like it's um, it's okay, but I'm really bored now and I need the story to move on. I didn't feel that at all uh, during this, you know. So I agree, there are definitely bits that it could have so benefited from being like a four or six parter, absolutely. But um, yeah, I didn't find myself getting frustrated or... Um, or sort of tedious with the story, even though it did sort of repeat itself a bit. Mm. But I do know what you mean. I, I think seven parts is quite a big uh, space to fill. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, there's yeah. definitely going to be a bit of repetition there. But I think I just found the performances so engaging, mate. I thought the cast just seemed really 
into it for the most part. I mean, Peter Miles, you know, uh, always gives a very um, erratic performance. Uh, you know, he's always got quite a strong performance, I think. He's, he's got a certain screen presence. And um, the bit where he got the plague and he was going mad at the end, I bet you were cracking up <laughs> I was that. cracking up, dude. I knew yeah. you would be. Because <laughs> he really, when he jumps up on the table, he's yeah. really going yeah. for it, isn't he, you know. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I just thought the whole cast were, were really into it. And Pertwee, um, particularly, like you said, it's his first season. Uh, second story, is it? Did you say second? Yes, yeah, after yeah, Spearhead, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah, I always think this is towards uh, towards the end, but no, second story. I don't know when it was filmed, but I, I love Pertwee. This well, I, I love Pertwee in general. I know we normally talk about the Doctor towards the end, but I just want to say this while I while I remember because whenever I watch a Pertwee episode, I remind myself how great he is and. What I mean by that is, you know, when you're down the pub and you're talking about your favourite doctors, who's your favourite doctor then? Who's in your top five? And, put, you know, put the doctors in order of best to worst. I have to be honest, Pertwee is never up there in my list, you know, when I'm sort of saying, oh, yeah, my favourite is, or so-and-so is great. And yet every time I watch him, I absolutely love him as the doctor. And I just think he gives such a great performance. He does feel quite alien as well he feels disconnected from the rest of them i think pert we've really got you know that thing of i am not human like when he says it in this story he's like they're not my race you know i'm not they're, they're a different race to me you know i really feel like he means it like he is he does feel alien to me but yeah it just every i get this every time i watch a pert we mate i think if you were to say who's your favorite doctor or who's in your top three i would never i never mention Pertwee. No, probably not top five, and yet every time I watch him, he's so good that he really should be up there um, in my top top five list. I think he's brilliant, but he's got a bit more of an edge to him, I feel, in his first series. Do you feel this? Like, whenever I watch anything from his first series, he's got a more... He's a bit more... Um, what's what you Not, not Bond-like, but what did you say earlier? He seems a bit more in control and a bit more, not shouty, but he's very direct. Mm, and yeah. there's a real confidence to his performance, which he does have all the way through his, his era. But there's something about him in, in the first season um, that I don't know. There's a slight stronger edge to him, whereas he, he softens a little. I think when we get to Katie, he sort of turns a bit more yeah, into the sort true. of charming type Doctor you know, figure doesn't he? This is, whereas in this, he's still got that charm, but he's very much a little bit more alien and very direct. And the way he speaks to Liz Shaw, you know, he's quite forthright. I think in uh, yes. is this season yep. eight? Would it be season seven? Isn't it? Of course, yeah, season seven. Yeah, it's more forthright. I feel in this first season, I really like that. This I noticed it in this story, and I remember in Inferno just how strong he is. You know, he's like a real force to be reckoned with. Um, which obviously we still get, but. There's a softer side to his doctor that comes out as as you know as his seasons go on. Yes. Um, so I really like Pertwee in series seven, uh, season seven. Yeah, no, I do, dude. I think he's um, you're absolutely right. He's got um, a bit of an edge to him. He's mm. got a little bit of a uh, like he. You just know that he's not going to put up with any any rubbish from anybody. Yeah, and he's going to stick to that. But he's also have these little he has these little moments of just kindness about him. Mm. which is really nice and a bit of sort of playfulness about him. You know, at the very end where he, where Bessie's broken down and he puts that um, fluid in there, you know, Liz is like rolling her eyes. Like, should (laughs) I just go back and get some help? He's like, no, 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 no. And then he's got his watch out and he can, he's kind of mentally tracking the fluid as it runs through the engine and out the exhaust. And he's got this cheeky little smile like, there we go. So he has those little moments where 
there's like a playfulness to him and a bit of a but um in the later stuff yeah you're right when we get to um uh when john that chemistry between him and katie manning is clearly mm. the the side of him that's a bit softer yeah and a little bit more you can set you can tell that on screen as well i think that's why he comes across as a little bit more softer with katie mm. and a little bit yeah but in this series especially he's got that right i'm 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 here to to fix the situation and if you don't like it then you know so he almost clashes with the brigadier in that respect where the brigadier has to go up against that as well he has people that in this story especially that are coming at him like i'm not happy with unit being here and i'm going to file a complaint and this is rubbish and you shouldn't be doing this and all the rest of it and he's like just not putting up with it and it's great and, and the doctor's like that pertwee's doctor is like that very much so in these early ones so i, I, t- I know exactly what you mean and i think um is i think the i, I think the, the the reason why pertwee probably played it like that is because troughton's doctor in contrast was a lot more playful mm. and a lot more yeah. you know we all know what Troughton's you know doctor was like so p- probably he thought well i'm not going to go in and be bumbly and you know because he very easily could have done that if anyone's watched old words will gummage classic gummage yes, or any of that yeah. stuff pertwee has the ability to play you know um good, like, good point you actually. know a bit yeah. of a plonker and he can be playful and childlike and he can do all that stuff yeah but i think he made a very conscious you know this is with me with my mystic meg crystal ball obviously mm-hmm. but i get the feeling that his conversations that he would have had with the bbc and the producers of doctor who was very much like we've already had a playful clowny doctor now we need somebody that's very different to that so i think he's um he plays this his version of the doctor very very stern at times and and quite cutting but it's exactly we know why that is um the only thing i can't get past and every time i see a scene with this Mm. i just fall about laughing and i know he's (laughs) trying to be serious but (laughs) when he does his like there's a bit when he's in the cell and the silurian's getting a little bit wound up with him because he just wants him to be quiet and he keeps you know banging on so he turns like his third eye you know ray on him that's the whole head wobble thing and pert to his face he always does this face where his eyes go really wide and he goes boss-eyed you know what i mean um, i do yeah i'm thinking of spearhead when he's got the uh, thing wrapped around right, him in the neck. tank and he's yeah. doing it you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> so yeah um i cannot get past that and i know he's not doing it for comedic effect i know he's doing it for like <laughs> this is funny, me though. this is me like in pain i'm being zapped by you know this whatever but I just can't get past it, dude. So that's the only one little nugget of, mm. yep, I can see why you're playing the Doctor this way, but that face that you pull, I, I just can't get past it, mate. All I see is Wurzel Gummidge, mate. That's all I see. It's a good, yeah. it's a good point you make there. I never <laughs> really thought of that before, you know, about the the comedic side of Pertwee. He could have so easily sort of played it like a, this, a more comedic um, style, couldn't he? But I think that that's the thing. I think he's gone into Doctor Who and thought... You know, he's looked at Trout's performance, which is, you know, at times like, you know, uh, sort of childish and charming. And he's decided to very 
or somebody has decided that they're going to play it very differently, which is absolutely right. I think, you know, you want to put your own stamp on it. And he was known, I think, pretty much for comedy, wasn't he, when he took yeah. this role? So yep. he probably wanted to prove to people that he could actually act. You know, I can do, I can play this straight. You know, I can play this very serious. I, you know, I don't, I, I'm not just a, a comedic actor. And that's a really good point. I've never thought about it like that. It would have been, he probably could have played this, you know, a bit more for laughs and a bit more sort of childlike like Troughton if he'd wanted to. But I'm, I'm so glad he didn't. And my, I think the thing is, when I say he's not in my top list, when I when somebody asks me, is I think my misconception of, of the third Doctor uh, is that he's sort of a bit of his time, uh, a bit sort of pompous, a bit, hello, my dear, and all this sort of thing, <laughs> which there's definitely that side to him. But I also, when I watch his episodes, the things that I forget that I love about his Doctor is actually there is a real strong side to him. He very much is in control. I'm going to sort this out. And also, I love the tinkering side of the third Doctor. He's always making things and, you know, gadgets, and he's always experimenting and and finding cures, and he's in laboratories. And, you know, I love that. He's intelligent, basically. I love that side of the third Doctor. And I think I sort of forget that a lot of the time if you know what i mean like my yeah, my yeah. perception of him is a slightly um uh, how can i put it a bit like the old gentleman's club figure you know what i mean I read you. like the way yeah. the way that they all talk you know in this this is the seventies, right is it, is it, is it at latter end of 69 70s i don't know when yeah. they filmed it but yeah. you know everyone talks very much like this don't they there's the, everybody you know that was the bbc back then and i think that's the thing i think of when i think of this era and pertwee's doctor and i mean there is a bit i, I, I mean, the, typifies that when he first meets the Silurian and he actually says hello are you a Silurian you know it's very sort of British of the time 70s you know the the way his doctor is not there's anything wrong with that but I think that's the thing that I often think of when I think of his doctor and there's so much more to him than that and um, Mm -hmm. I'm just reminded of every time I watch an episode I'm like god he's actually brilliant as the doctor Mm -hmm. you know he's, he's a real force to be reckoned with and he has got that compassionate side like the, the bit where he's talking with the Silurian when he, you know, finds out that it, the Earth used to be their planet and they just have this really cool discussion. You know, the way Pertwee plays and acts that, uh, it, it's a really beautiful scene. It's, it's, there's many layers to his Doctor that I think that I personally often overlook. And, um, yeah, he, he, he's absolutely brilliant in this story. And he is a brilliant Doctor. He is a, yeah, he is a great Doctor. And, um, yeah, yeah that's, um, that's, that's enlightening as well because when you think about his back catalogue of stuff before doctor who mm. some of the films that he did he was in a few carry on films which are just throughout yeah. through and through comedies like carry on screaming carry on cowboy and all that stuff like some of the other films that he did as well was nearly a nasty accident which is a good little comedy um i've got a horse you must be joking um all that <laughs> stuff and then some of the tv is like toad of toad hall and mm. uh, jack and Ori, dave nixon's comedy band box you know all of these programs he's very He's very um, jokey and funny, and you can tell that his his heart lies in laughter and you know, the whole comedic side of things. So, the fact that he used Doctor Who as an opportunity to be like, actually, um, this kind of you know stern, uh, confident sort of person that's not the not the the jester of the cast, I think is a really cool was a really good decision for him because it must have been fairly. It was a bit like a Catherine Tate moment, I, I imagine. Again, this is I'm just, you know, plucking this thought process out of the air. But a lot of people were very hesitant about Catherine Tate because they thought she's a comedy actor and she's yeah. known for being funny. And so, how is she going to 
bring some seriousness and some legitimate you know some legitimacy to a, a companion that needs to be that does that isn't required to be funny all the time and stuff like that but she absolutely nailed it so this is the same not the same but you know it's a similar kind of thing i suppose where you probably had film and tv critics at the time being like funny man john pertwee is going to be the doctor and how's this going to go down so yeah, yeah they probably expected fantastic. a very different performance <clears throat> yes. from him wouldn't they actually yeah. think about it at the time they were probably expecting him to be comedic i would i would think uh, in terms of the media and and even maybe the general public at the time i, I doubt they're expecting him to be you know uh the sort of action hero doctor that he actually is um but yeah definitely the right choice in, in my eyes i think yeah he, he plays it really well indeedy yeah yeah so i think we can agree on that one dude he's he's very good in this he's really mm. really good and um it's lovely to see the doctor tinker that was such a cool thing about his doctor as well mm. is that the kind of being the investigator as well and the tinkerer and building and you know messing around with things a really cool aspect of the doctor which i think they lost that a little bit in some of modern who um they they lost that sort of uh i think they brought it back a little bit with capaldi's doctor Mm. you know but we we kind of lost the 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 technical side of the doctor's personality where and of course every every incarnation of the doctor has their own unique personality but there is that sort of running thing throughout classic who where he's very much tinkering with the tardis console and is covered in wires and yeah you know and just making stuff and a bit of an engineer and, and i love that about his doctor as well he's i love that um you know the kind of theme that ran through his his era was that because he's been grounded on earth by the time lords he's always got this just this in the background project that he doesn't really divulge to the brig he doesn't really sometimes he doesn't he didn't even tell tell liz or anyone and he's just trying to get the 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 tardis you know working in a way that he can get off off of earth and stuff like that and that came through lots of you know i need this part or i need this thing or i'm going to make this thing so i love that about his era as well and his doctor and it's, it happens in this episode where at the beginning she's you know liz mentioned something and he gives it a bang and it starts and oh it's yeah. bessie wasn't it and bessie, and yeah. uh and later on when he's in the lab and he's testing all the different bloods and stuff i love that aspect of his mm. doctor you can tell that he that was written well for him as well yeah it just uh, what i love it is it just shows the intelligent side of the doctor like you said when, you know Troughton had that he could often play the clown like figure but underneath you knew that he was actually very intelligent like matt smith um, to a degree yes Yes. matt smith as well and like you said when when capaldi they started to bring a little bit of that in you know when he was doing at the chalkboard and he was doing all the equations i thought they're going back to that a little bit and i really like the fact they're bringing that element of the doctor back the intelligence side and i i hoped i remember when jodie made her sonic out of steel and stuff in the first episode i remember thinking at the time oh i hope we're going back to the doctor you know, a more intelligent doctor that actually uses what she's got or they've got you know, in front of them to actually make things and solve the problem. And sadly, that that never materialised um, with her doctor. But I, yeah, I just love that side, and it's a shame that I think we've lost it. But like, I know, like you said, every doctor has to be different, and they, you know, they can't all do that. But it is the side of the doctor I love, and it, it particularly works, I think, with Pertwee. You know, the fact he's got the blooming TARDIS console in a shed uh, in in a lot of his stories. You know, what what's going on? there i remember being so confused by that when i sort of um you know first started watching the pertwee stories when they come out on 
VHS all those years ago. I was like, what? Why is the TARDIS in the shed? You know, what's going on here? But yeah, it's it's a side <laughs> of his Doctor I, I absolutely adore. It's cool, isn't it? Yeah, very cool. <laughs> so, love letters for John Pertwee put to one side. Mm. let's speak about let's talk about sorry the silurians themselves then the mm. the quote-unquote baddies of the episode and an interesting one an interesting choice uh early on for for pertwee in that spearhead was very much uh um like the great intelligence stuff and the autons and all that it was it was a very it was a very cool thing but it wasn't very it wasn't very visual as in um, because it was a load of mannequins for the most part in that and stuff like that. It wasn't a very classic who expected person in a cheap tacky suit. Mm. So when we finally get to John Pertwee's doctor being able to interact with that and the, the, the design for the Silurians is very, is very expected of, of charming who classic who I think is the best way to put it because mm. as usual, you can tell that, you know, the budget's not very big so they made do with what they had and um one thing that's always funny about the classic who costumes is that the headpiece and the bit around the neck they never quite figured out how to make it (laughs) seamlessly join with the rest of the body so you could tell that the, the the alien's head the silurian's head which was joined into the neck and the the shoulder piece was just a hood so it wasn't this it so it kind of and I know you have to sort of, you know, suspend your your belief on this stuff and just go with it. But um, you can tell that it's like not their skin, obviously. It's just a, a piece of leather or fabric, whatever it is, that doesn't quite... So that always makes me laugh. But it was an interesting choice to go with the Silurians because it, it was more of a... Um, they're threatening, of course, but it was more of a... Why, have you, why Why? do we have a, a, an eight-foot dinosaur, you know, down in yeah, the, that, in the cave? Odd. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so that was like their sort of pet, I guess, that, you know, the strange whistly electronic device thing that they mm. summoned it by. I, I, it was weird because if you're going to have the Silurians who are this very threatening, and there's a bit of infighting as well, isn't there? The leader is kind of on board with the Doctor at one point. The Doctor kind of talks him round and he's like, look, there's no need for bloodshed. You know, we don't have to attack you guys. You don't have to, you know, invade the human race. We can share, you know, there's, we can work this out and be diplomatic. So he kind of buys into it and stuff, but then you've got the other, <laughs> the other Silurians that are like, this is outrageous. He's not yeah. fit to lead anymore. We should be destroying the humans and all that. So because of that, they are threatening themselves. So the dinosaur thing uh, was kind of weird. I think that was just more of a, I think that was just more of a scare tactic that us as the viewer needed to know that something bad was down in the cave, not necessarily mm. the Silurians themselves. But yeah, what do you think to those as as monsters, aliens then? Because I thought that was interesting that for a new Doctor, they didn't go straight in with the Daleks or something mm. or the Cybermen as like the big one to kick off with. So yeah. Yeah, it's a good another. Yes, another good point actually. And again, never really thought about that. Yeah, they're not relying on the big guns to to bring in the new Doctor. Um, I I really like the Silurians. I I think they work because of the way they're written. Uh, like like you said, there's this sort of hierarchy between them. This sort of conflict of like they want to 
you know, get the leader dead and out the way, you know, so that they can do what they think uh, is right. And I think, I don't know, that you can sort of relate a lot of that to real life. So you, you can find a connection with them. And you sort of think, well, actually, yeah, that's the sort of thing that happens in the real world, you know, that leaders get bumped off because uh, somebody else has got different ideas of what they want to do, you know, a master plan. So the way they're written, um, I think, is really good. As for the appearance, I it's weird because they're one of the few sort of... Um, two monsters you know from the classic era that they, they sort of the body suits don't look very good they look very flimsy and, and rubbery and you like you said you could see the massive join on the neck and all that sort of thing but there's something about the design and of the head itself and i love the way the actors move and even the funny head wobble and it, it's funny because they really shouldn't work as well as they do there's something about them that i just absolutely love and i just forgive all the things with the costume which is quite rare really because you know there are some dot two monsters where you know like the murker and stuff and it just it looks terrible and i'm so you know and you find yourself being so unforgiving with the costume but with the silurians i don't know what it is it just works for me i know it's a man in a rubbery suit it looks like a man in a rubbery suit but I still really love the look of them. Uh, I think it's down to the way they're written. I think it's down to the actors and the way they're moving. I think it's down to the iconic actual design of the head. I mean, the, you know, the Silurian head looks great mm. um, in terms of the design. Mm -hmm. And I suppose I just put it down to it's of the it's of the time, and it 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 doesn't bother me at all. Honestly, I I love the look of the Silurians and I really like them as a as a sort of Doctor Who monster, if you like. I think they, you know, the idea that they were here before us and they just want their planet back. And then again, you know, the sort of middle part of the story where the Doctor tries to say, hang on, we could make this work because, you know, you're reptilian and you you, you need heat and, and, and humans can't survive in high heat. So we could make that work. And I think that's, that's a really interesting idea that, that you know, they could have lived live together on the same planet if they'd have just tried but that again for me plays into real life we could all live so easily with each other but you know so many people in this world decide to make that impossible and i think again that's quite relatable in the story so yeah you know, yeah I, I, I like the solarians i think they're a really good uh creation you know yeah no i read you it's um and it's a uh, i think it's a very you're right it's a really relatable subject and storyline because they kind of reused that a little bit didn't they with um in 2010 i, th I think it was when we had the two parts of the hungry earth and cold blood where they reintroduced the silurians in the modern mm. era that was very much the same narrative that ran through that story it's like this is our planet and they still refer to humans as the apes and all that stuff and the doctor's very much like there's no need for this you know we can um you know we can coexist kind of thing and then you've got um some silurians that are very purists and they're having none of it but then you've got others that are um do you remember the doctor character in that episode it was the modern silurian but he had like a white lab coat on and he was oh yeah yeah so he kind of came around a little bit and mm. yeah so it's a it it's something that does hit home when you think about the the deeper meaning of that story so you you can see why it it's a it does well you know across lots of you know different fans but um one interesting thing that i have just realized actually is that when they did bring the silurians back the design was really they really heavily over overhauled the whole thing didn't they so the whole yeah. third eye thing's gone and just literally completely different completely different design 
However, when they brought the sea devil back recently, they didn't touch it. So it's exactly, well, almost the same design as we had back in the the, the other Pertwee story that introduced them, right? The sea devils. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's interesting to me that the Silurians now look completely different. Like if you said to a brand new Who fan, what do you think this monster's called and what do you think that monster's called? You'd never say, oh, they're the same. That's the same thing. But with the sea devil, you could. You could say, oh, clearly that's the same one. So what do you prefer, dude? The newer one that's a lot more humanised, if we think about Vastra, you know, or mm. versus the classic one, what do you prefer? Oh, definitely the classic. Oh, the classic. I don't, okay. I don't like the new design of the Silurians at all in the Hungry Earth. I, it just, well, I, actually I do, it's okay, but no, I much prefer this look. I, I think I even prefer um, the... Uh, what's it called? Warriors of the Deep design to oh, the new one. Okay, uh, but no, this is my favourite design of the Silurian. You're right with the Sea Devil, though. I mean, they looked fantastic in the the new series. I think they they got that absolutely right. They hardly tweaked it at all. If anything, they just sort of changed the outfit the Sea Devils are wearing, which is not a bad thing because it's better than the string vest. So that I think they got absolutely right. Shame it was such a terrible story, really. Such a disappointing return for them because they looked fantastic. But the Silurians, mate, no, I've never really got on board with the redesign. It, I mean, it's fine for what it is, but like you said, it doesn't really resemble the sort of characteristics of the Sea Silurians. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, that I feel like are in this story. So I'm not a big fan of the new redesign. Have they got the third eye of the new one? I can't remember. No, of course not. No, they no, haven't, have they? they? look a lot more human, basically. Yeah, it looks yeah, like... Um, it looks like a lizard. Yeah, it looks basically like a human that's got lizard skin. Yeah. Is the best way to put it. Yeah. It's a bit boring, isn't it, really? At least these <laughs> look at least these look more interesting, even though they, you know, uh, do look a bit rubbery. <laughs> like the hands, when the actors are trying to do stuff in the suits, the hands, you can see that the, you know, it's almost too big for the, <laughs> the actors' hands and stuff. But yeah, it, it works for me. <laughs> yeah. And the actors that were, um, that were told to play them, um, this won't mean anything to anyone, but Nigel Johns, Dave Carter, and uh, Pat Gorman, mm. uh, they were the guys, uh, Simon Kane and John Churchill, these were the guys that were inside the Silurian suits. And uh, you can tell that the direction by by uh, by Timothy Cone was basically acts like an alien, you know, try yeah. and not walk around like a human and stuff like that. So that's I think that's why when you see them walking around, they're all kind of wobbly and they shake around and there's a lot yeah. of finger waving and it's all wobbly, yeah. and so, and especially <laughs> when they're activating the um, their kind of what it what is it? It's, it's like um, a sort of psychic. Um, sort of attack weapon i suppose you know when their mm. third eye lights up and you know everyone goes nuts and they all wobble a lot and shake and stuff like that so it's definitely got that old classic who charm about those as aliens or monsters it's uh it's very cool so yeah interesting choice there for the for the silurians as the as the bad dudes uh, when you is um well, sorry when sorry, is pertwee's first interaction with the daleks or the cybermen then oh um, actually mm, not for a while is it yet I yeah, don't I don't know, think it's not is in this a, season. I don't think for a, for a little while. What are you going to say, mate? I'll look it up. Just, just um, Timothy Kuhn. I just wanted to, as you'd mentioned, the director. I just wanted to say I, I thought he did a, such a great job on this. You know, considering the you know the time that this was made. Um, for me, he's really trying to inject some 
some action into it. And I guess knowing it's a seven-parter, I think he's uh, he does a great job. You know, there's lots of sweeping shots. It doesn't feel static to me for the most part. You know, he's got cameras on top of the ambulance as it drives into Marlborough Station. You know, um, the, the, the sweeping shot of um, Jeffrey Palmer's character when he dies. You know, there's lots of motion and movement in this story. To, I think that's one of the reasons I didn't find it sort of too hard going because it does if it if that's the other thing some of the part with seven parts or six parts they are so static at times and yeah sure there is the odd scene like the, when they're just sat around tables chatting and discussing things obviously but i did feel like the director did a great job on this you know even from the, there's lots of manic zoom zoom shots isn't there into the solarian's heads as they do the wobble you know it feels to me like he's really trying to inject some excitement into this so obviously it still feels of its time but didn't you think the direction was pretty sweet in this story it was pretty sweet yeah and yeah. um there was a there's a classic television technique that they used in this one as well uh, which is very often used throughout the 60s and 70s and that is when you have the camera on a couple of people or a few people that are having a conversation you have this really quick zoom into someone's face when they're about to say yeah. something poignant or important. So we had that about a million times. And it often goes yeah. out of focus, doesn't it? As well. It does for like, a bit. It's until... just a little bit out of focus. <laughs> oh, it's fine. That's, that's so cool, yeah. though. I love that about classic yeah. TV. But I did think it was pretty cool, actually. It was. Um, what I liked about it is that we often say with classic Who stories that you have the odd occasion where a director will try something and not have the episode look so static Mm. but i think in this one it was it was fairly static but um i felt like it was just framed really nicely if that's Mm. the best way to put it because sometimes with the static stuff you have um you have i guess in hindsight i can say this but but they probably didn't think at the time but you have almost an awkward camera placement where it's in like the the corner of a corridor and you can only do so much with that. And think, but mm. I think in this one, I, I think that they really did have a good sense of what needed to be in the frame um, that worked with four by three ratio TVs back in the day. So I think that it, it feels it feels widescreen to me, even though it's not. Mm. You know, it, if that makes sense, yeah, everything does. Yeah. yeah, everything you see in the frame. Like a good example is at the at the very end when the doctor and and Liz feel like they've done their business, you know, they're driving off in Bessie and this is where the doctor gets it started again. And then in the background, in the field, like a couple of miles away in the background, there's an explosion that's going off because as we know, the brigadier has been ordered to blow up the Silurian base, unfortunately. And Mm -hmm. the doctor's miffed about that. And it just looks really cool. It's like you've got the doctor and Liz in the foreground with Bessie but in the background, you can clearly see what's going on with these explosions. And it's just framed really nicely. And there's another couple of shots where um, where they're in the caves down below and you can see the Doctor and, and um, Masters are in the, in, the, in the cage, in the lockup. And um, is it Masters? Not Masters, sorry. No, it's um, Dr. Lawrence, Peter Miles' oh, character. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. They're in, locked up in their cells and stuff. And um, you can see the Silurians walking around the corner, coming into shot, and they're fully in shot. You can see them from head to toe almost as they're walking through. But you've still got the Doctor in frame and the other person, and there's a bit of scenery and set and stuff like that. So to me, yes, it's a bit static, but I think it was really well directed because you had that sort of zoomy in um, technique that I spoke about. But also it just looked, 
just looked it was a nice watch i didn't feel um claustrophobic in any way where you know the tech the camera is always really tight in on things like a lot of classic who is so yeah i think it was a thumbs up on that respect dude it, it, yeah, it wasn't overlit as well. I mean, the Silurians are sort of kept, you know, it's kept sort of quite dark in scenes. I think where his direction comes alive is on the location stuff in it, but like the sweeping shot with the helicopter. And oh, yeah. There's the scene yeah. of the Silurian coming over the hill with the sun behind him. That's a great shot. The scenes in the barn, you know, we get a lot of uh, POV shots. So I think his direction really comes alive when they're out, you know, uh, on uh, location. Uh, that So, yeah, when we're in the studio, I think maybe it's just the confinements of the probably tiny sets. I mean, I, there is a scene, it made me laugh right at the start, where they're in the sort of main control room and um, one of the guys makes a phone call to the woman who stood behind him, just stood up on a step. And I'm thinking, <laughs> why couldn't he just sit, turn around and say to her, like, you know, but obviously in the script it says he phones through to the room above and says could you come here for a moment but you know in reality the set's so small she's literally just stood right behind him there's no need for him to phone her mm -hmm. and say could you come in so i think it's, it's the sets are probably tiny i think it says on the production notes they had some disaster with the cave sets or something i'm not not quite sure what it was but they really had to cobble together what they were given to make the cave so yeah i reckon a lot of the time when we're getting this like you said sort of more static studio shots it's probably because they were such small sets and yeah i think he does a good job with what what he's got in front of him but definitely <laughs> comes alive when they're on location I, I love the location stuff yeah yeah and talking of how this episode looks and we'll rattle through some other cast members quickly in a second and give mm. our scores but in terms of how this looks um i don't know if it's the i don't know if it's just the the source material that they had to work with but it does um it does feel like this is a little bit rough around the edges because there was a few episodes as I was watching through and there's like this sort of um, contrasty colour wave effect that's sort of running over the image on mm. a couple of episodes. It does look a bit rough because... Especially anything red. Yes, yeah. The, the, the oversaturation on the, on the red and the cyan side of the... Of the yeah, it, you, could, you could tell that a mile off because the actor's lips look overly... They all look like they're wearing lipstick at one point and... So yeah, that was weird. But uh, this was the first story to, that we recorded. They used um, color studio cameras, so I guess it was a little bit of a dipping their toe in the water with that stuff. But um, I, it's just a real big contrast because the previous story was shot pretty much all on location on film stock, thirty-five mil film. It looks mm. gorgeous, spearhead from space. So yeah. from to go from that to then this, where you've got you're back in studio and you're doing using studio cameras and stuff. I guess was a little bit weird, but um, I'm really hoping that, uh, and don't get me wrong, this is not the end of the world and it's very much a, a nice to have, but I would really love this to be sort of remastered, tidied up and colour corrected properly because I think it would look really cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I noticed the quality changed quite a bit between episodes. Um, I don't know, so so what happened with, with the episodes? Were they junked? Because these are recoloured, aren't they? There's like a little extra feature on the DVD where yeah. they show the... I think they had... So I think... I don't know if these were junked. Oh, they were wiped, I think. Yeah, the, the originals were wiped by the BBC. I'm just seeing it on Twitter now. On Not on Twitter, on Wiki. 
so they wiped the original episodes, which I I always think of the black and white ones being wiped. I never think of the pertwee ones, but yeah, they, even those weren't safe from the BBC. So they wiped the originals, uh, managed to get some black and white um, versions of the episodes from somewhere, mixed them with some colorization prints. I don't know. There's been a lot of restoration work on them, but yeah, they still, like you said, and obviously they've done the best they can and techniques will have improved since they remastered these episodes for DVD. But, yeah, it's a shame. The original prints aren't there, so they've had to use sort of, you know, other prints from other countries and recolorize them and goodness knows what. So, But it does show in certain episodes. Like you said, if you get anything with, like, a red background, like the red cloth behind um, Jeffrey Palmer's character, yeah, it's got a lot of interference in the picture. So it's incredible, isn't it? You don't think of, like, Pertwee episodes being junked by the BBC but a lot of his were actually like um, Terry the Autons I remember looking a bit ropey on on DVD and they they managed to do a fairly good job um, when they released that on Mm Blu-ray because as I say techniques have have changed since um, since the remastering process of this story so hopefully they can work wonders with it when it comes out on Blu-ray but yeah I wouldn't expect miracles mate because they don't have the original Mm -hmm. (laughs) don't have the original film prints unfortunately for these yeah, I reckon the the dudes at the um, that the rest of the restoration team would have a, a good a good crack at this one. though when we finally get round mm. to this Blu-ray set, oh, I'm sure they will. They do their best. Yeah. But you're right, like you said, you go from Spearhead being shot on film, which looks glorious, to yeah, slightly ropey picture yeah. quality. It's it's yeah, it's of its time. Like you said, it's not a biggie, but it, it would be nice to see it um, improved if they can. Actually, which reminds me, you know, when when we saw the Time Meter at the BFI the other week. Um, they talked about that because the original VH original DVD release of that, the quality was the best they could do, but it wasn't great. And there's actually a trailer for that on <laughs> this DVD, and it does look really bad compared to what we're going to get when the new set comes out. Honestly, they I, I don't know if they found new prints or if they've found a new technique to improve the picture, but my goodness, like it's it looks so much better. Having watched the little next time trailer on the DVD just last night from what we got when it came out on DVD, they've, they've worked wonders on the time meddler. Mm-hmm. So hopefully they can do the same on this. Yeah. Or similar. Yeah. Defo. And I just want to go off topic just for a second, mm-hmm. talking of techniques to restore stuff, nothing to do with Dr. Who, but if there are any classic eighties cartoon fans listening and you were a fan of He-Man and oh, masters yeah. of the universe, there is a new Blu-ray set of that about to be Ooh, released yeah. in the next, mm, I don't know, month or two couple of months and um the restoration the remaster on that is unbelievable so just very quickly if anyone wants to check this out there's a guy who um is on twitter and instagram and youtube he goes by the name of serial geek i've forgotten Mm. his his actual name but i think he worked officially on he-man he's wrote a book about it and stuff and has done a lot of work on I think he runs the official YouTube channel. Anyway, he's been posting screenshots on Instagram of comparisons between the original release when they released them on DVD and then this brand new Blu-ray. And it is it is night and day difference. You would have thought that it was made and drawn yesterday. So He-Man and the Master of the Universe, the upcoming Blu-ray set, is going to look freaking sweet. Mm-hmm. It is yeah. it, technology is amazing now, isn't it? What they can actually do to improve the, the picture quality. Yes. Um, just again, slightly off topic. I saw I, you were talking about the Wurzel box set last week, and I thought, yes, must see how much that is. Must get that pre-ordered. My heart sank when I saw the price, dude. 
I think on HMV it was like eighty nine ninety nine, and and no. um, that's not the yes, final price. Eighty nine ninety nine, but on um, Amazon it was sixty nine ninety nine. So it's quite expensive. I'm like, I'm going to give that a couple of weeks. I'm going to let that come down because I I'm, can't pay that. That cannot I mean, be uh, the final. No, I mean it's, I don't know when it's out. The price is bound to drop. That's probably like the top end RRP, but it's bound to drop. But it's. It's expensive, mate. It's, it's but meant then to I be guess, out this month, dude. It's meant to be out yeah. at the end of this This can't be 80. No way. Well, I think it was cheaper on Amazon. I don't like using Amazon, but it, they were a, a, a bit cheaper. Uh, I think it was 60-something on Amazon. But it was still expensive, mate. I, as much as I want that lovely remastered, that's the problem, isn't it? I suppose everything's going up in price. If we want, if we want these things remastered, I guess they are going to cost because of the, the time and everything involved. But, whew, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, but well, let's rattle through a few um, supporting cast members, okay, and we'll okay. just spend thirty seconds a minute on each of these. Then, so Nick Courtney, then as the brig, classic brig dude. Yeah, classic brig in this. He's he's on <laughs> great form. Uh, he always is, really. But yes, it's a good one for the brig. And I kind of knew at the end what was going to happen. You almost feel s- sorry for the Silurians, but it, the the fact that brig's trying to usher the doctor off, he's like, yeah, go on then, <laughs> off you go, go and have a nice time. You just know what he's going to do. But he's he's great in it. Some good conflict between the brig and the doctor as well um courtney and and john Pertwee just yeah. sparring off each other brilliantly yeah very cool yeah do you know what i love this pairing of john oh, Pertwee and nick courtney they've got such a great um respect for each other mm. because the doctor's obviously the doctor and the the brig respects that and understands that because even in this episode there was the guy the, the really um the really uh uh, uppity guy that's not happy with unit being there um he's looking for all the paperwork and he's like i've looked through your list of of team members and everything all good but nothing about this doctor what's what's he all about and the the brig because he knows you know the the doctor uh he just sort of brushes it under the carpet quickly he's like you don't need to know about the doctor he's my personal responsibility you know it's all good and so you've got that respect there but at the same time there's that there's that rubbing each other up the wrong way when the doctor knows that from a an otherworldly alien perspective he knows what to do but the brig can't always get his head around that so the brig's got this very much military um sort of thing he has to go through almost with units so they work so well together and he's classic the only thing that makes me laugh about the brig is unfortunately they don't really deck him out in the most flattering of outfits. Oh times. no, the unit outfits are, are not very <laughs> nice in this story, are they? The, yeah, <laughs> it's not for, for a, yeah for a start. It's not it's not the right size for him. It doesn't look like. Um, and secondly, yeah, there's just not. It doesn't really. Yeah, it looks like a like a Boy Scout outfit that's just yeah. had a unit badge <laughs> slapped on it sometimes. But anyway, Nick Courtney doing the business um, as usual as, uh, mm-hmm. as the brig. I can imagine so many. I would love to have been in the pub at the same time oh, as yeah, Nick Courtney man. and John Pertsby in between filming and stuff. What a conversation they would have had. Yeah, I, was, yeah, I could totally imagine that. Yeah, Because they loved to drink back mm-hmm. then, those two. Anyway, um, let's have a look. Uh, so Peter Miles then. As uh, Dr. Lawrence, he hammed this one up, dude. 
He does. I mean, that's what that's what that's what he does, and it's weird, isn't it? Because I'd forgotten he was in it, and um, I always think of him as Nider in Genesis of the Daleks because he's he's so uh, calculating and cold and brilliant yeah. in that story. Yeah. So I forget he's in this one, but I, he does always ham it up. And I thought he was, um, I thought he was fun. I love the fact that he's so angry at the Doctor's there all the time. He's like, "Who is this man?" Um, <laughs> and I love the bit when he gets the plague and he jumps up on the table and tries to strangle the. <laughs> it's so a good I think scream, he was, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, he does ham it up, but one thing with Peter Miles is he, he he does always leave an impression. You know, he's not an actor that fades into the background, and I love him for that. So I, I think he gives a fun performance in this. Yeah, he's cool. Um, what about Fulton McKay as Dr. Quinn, our friend from, from Porridge, if you've ever seen that, the guard? Oh, is that where I know him from? Yeah, he was... Uh, he was under the control of the Silurians, essentially, wasn't he? For mm. and that obviously came to to light quite early on in the story, and um, we knew he was going to get bumped off. You know, we knew that, but um, yeah. uh, he was quite cool in this. Um, he was, yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's uh, interesting the scene towards the beginning that went on forever. You know, when he's up in the glass booth and he's got the little microphone and increase power. To oh, yeah. 600 uh, yeah. million things. And then out on the floor, someone turns a little knob. Power increased to 600. <laughs> and this is like, come on, Jesus. But mm. he played that really well because obviously he wants to really get this going because he's working for the Silurians, essentially. But all yeah. the other people are like, you can't do this. It's dangerous. He's like, bugger off. I know exactly what I'm doing. So I liked his character. He was quite a character. I, I liked the scene where the doctor goes to his house and forces his way in. And it was almost <laughs> almost comedic. I don't know. Yeah. They, they managed to get a great fine line between sort of acting that scene seriously, but also putting in a fun element to it. Like the bit where the doctor's at the window at the end. I don't know if that was an improvisation, <laughs> but that was so funny. He's just, uh, uh, yeah, that, that, that was, um, he was good at it, that, that guy. I knew I knew him from somewhere. Yes. Orange, yeah. yeah. Uh, Jeffrey Palmer, obviously Jeffrey a very well-known yeah. actor as Masters. Very, yeah. Uh, would have been interesting, his reaction, getting the script to see if he wanted to do this. It's like basically a guy in a suit who's very serious for a while and then dies of the plague, essentially. Mm. Um, so very... Uh, is, is this a very Jeffrey Palmer th- role? Or are we used to more kind of comedic stuff from him too? Yeah, he's normally comedic, mm. isn't he? I... He was all right, though. He was all right in this. Yeah, I mean, he did, does give a perfectly fine performance. Nothing wrong with his performance. It's just, um, it doesn't stand out, I suppose, like some of the others. It's, it's very, Jeffrey Palmer often does that, doesn't he? He just sort of has this slightly pompous demeanour um, in terms of the, the characters he's playing. I'm not talking about him personally. I don't know what he was like. But yeah, he often plays those sort of slightly pompous characters, doesn't he? And he comes into this and kind of does his thing. And he's, yeah, he's good, isn't it? But um, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't yeah. say he gives. He doesn't. I don't feel like he's given one hundred and ten percent. I don't feel like he's like taken the role and thought, right, I'm going to really go for this, like Peter Miles. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I thought it was a, a decent performance. It's nice to see him in it anyway. So he's a nice actor. Yeah, in yeah. Sense, yeah. He only left us recently as well. He died um, mm. in 2020. He was 93. So he had a good. Oh really? Good innings. Yeah, Jeffrey Palmer mm. he was pretty good. He did loads over the years, didn't he? Yes. Um, and is there anyone else in the supporting cast you want to mention? Um, well, Paul Darrow, I suppose, because obviously I love Blake Seven, so it's interesting to see a young Paul Darrow uh, oh, playing one of the... Yeah. Yeah, yes, Hawkins, the... Um, yeah, I mean, Paul Darrow is another one that could very often ham up a performance, and he's, I feel like he's teetered on the edge in this. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's just nice to see a young Paul Darrow in it. Yeah, he gets a few nice moments. 
Yes, yeah. And uh, we haven't forgotten about uh, Liz Shaw, Caroline John, obviously. Mm. Um, to finish up with her, then, what did you um, think to Liz? Because she's, I'll be honest with you, she's not my favourite companion mm. in in classic or all, all, all of who but i'm not saying that she's bad because I, I think it was one of the first i think it was one of the first roles in doctor who where she her character was written to push back on the on the predominantly male male in charge society you know she was very much a i'm not going to i'm just not i'm not going to be the one that makes the tea all the time and i'm not going to do this you know she pushes back you know, which was, which was, kind of rare, I guess, still at this time, in television history, back in the sixties and seventies, very much, you know, the women weren't the forefront of these things, and you know, they were very much the, a lot of the time, just follow the doctor around mm, and scream. Obviously, the yeah. obviously the path was laid very nicely by Barbara, from you know from the early stuff, mm. um, but yeah, she was one of these companions that didn't just accept when one of the male actors or maybe personally for her as well, but definitely the way she was written script wise was that in this episode, she very much pushes back. Like, how have you know, I'm a doctor, you know, I'm going to do this and I'm not just mm. here to, to do, you know, follow you around sort of thing. So she's not my fave, but she's not, she's not bad either. She's just, um, she just seems to have just enough to do, but she never really goes crazy other than Inferno possibly. But yeah, what do you reckon? Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, I I really like um, Liz Shaw as a character. I think there was great, great potential with with her, um, and I think Carolyn John's great playing it. But I don't think they ever quite realised the potential, or maybe because she's only there for one season. But yes, uh, I love the I love what they're going for. You know, a more stronger. Um, compa- uh, female companion for the Doctor um, definitely sort of after I think sort of during, I hate to say it, during the Troughton era we did get a lot of screaming companions like um, Deborah Watney's character who I love but you know uh, so yes it's a step in the right direction in terms of that and I think it's nice to see the Doctor getting a strong companion I felt, I think they felt like she was almost too strong which is I think one of the reasons they got rid of her isn't it that they felt like she was too much of an equal for the doctor and we need somebody to ask all the questions to explain to the viewer and all that so yeah i think she's a good good companion um uh, and i think she's well played and just maybe just the potential is there but not quite tapped into uh i think over the series but yes it's nice it's a nice change isn't it i mean Mm. i love joe grant obviously the next companion she's what she's one of my favorites she's got that just delightful charm to her but i think caroline john is a is a good companion and and it's nice to have a change and uh yeah nice to have a strong female companion for the doctor it's definitely mixes it up a bit from what we may have had before so yes yeah yeah good um just lastly very very quickly i thought the music was both good and bad in this, yeah, thought, it's the last thing I've got yeah. on my notes is the music. Yeah, I think um, mm. for the most part it was okay. It was kind of atmospheric and, and okay, but it had this weird, uh, a few times where it was weird kind of, it felt like it was the sort of thing that you'd go to a primary school and have a little performance by the kids. It sounded like somebody just um, having a little <laughs> go on the glockenspiel and somebody with a recorder, somebody just banging a triangle. It just felt mm. like this real kind of, playful childlike bit of music that was over the top of a few scenes which is really weird so um Mm. kerry blyton who um who composed this 
for the most part, you know, pretty sweet. But yeah, there was just odd little moments where just it felt really out of place to have these weird bits of bits of music. But yeah, <laughs> a bit I, weird. I love I love that description. That's brilliant. I'm going to think of that every time I watch <laughs> this. That's fantastic. Um, yes, I agree. It's weird because there are some bits which I think are really creepy and really work well. Like there's, I don't know if it's a violin or a cello. There's this certain, certain instrument that gets used a few times in the story, which is really nice. And then, yeah, like you said, then you get this other weird... Um, sometimes I can't work out if it's sound effects or or music. You get this other stuff thrown in, like which is just bizarre. Um, so some of it works really well, uh, some of it not so much. It's not as interfering as the Sea Devil soundtrack, that's for sure. Um, but it's it's certainly up there as being a bit odd in places, yeah. A bit weird, yes. Mm, a little bit weird. Um, just a very, very quick thing that we mentioned earlier about when does John Pertwee's Doctor, the third Doctor, come in contact with one of the big ones, like the Daleks or... Oh, yes, yeah. Or the Sidemen, whatever. I don't think it's until season nine or series nine, uh, the first episode of that one, Day of the Daleks. Wow, so, it's not until season nine. Yeah, so I think we go through uh, two series with him uh, before we get to the Daleks or the Cybermen. Blimey, because he didn't like the Daleks, did he? He wasn't, no, a, he wasn't no. a fan, but I don't know, don't know that he had much say in it. So that's the first appearance of the Daleks. This is the first appearance of Bessie as well. Must be. Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Bessie. Well, Bessie always looks to me like it could. It, it looks. I like Bessie, but it looks flimsy. It looks to me like it, <laughs> if it hit one big rock in the road, it would just go flying and across, the, you know, the moors. It, it doesn't look that stable as a car, but it probably was. It probably was okay, but there were. It's funny because there's a. A couple of scenes where you can tell that Pertwee's really revving the engine. There's a bit yeah. where he drives off up the road and it takes him ages to change gear. He's just like really putting his foot down to try and get some speed out of it. But yeah, it's a it's, it's such a cute an thing, odd car. Right? It's such an odd car though, isn't it? I mean, I think <laughs> Pertwee's doctor somehow manages to, I don't know if I'm make it look good, but he it's, it, it does work with his doctor, but it's an odd it's an odd thing to bring in as a regular for the series, isn't it? It's an odd car, yeah. for sure. Like the, the Humobile, you think, oh, yeah, that's, that's Doctor Who, isn't it? A, a futuristic car. Yeah, this thing, yeah. what, what is it? Like, it looks strange. <laughs> the Humobile, it's a strange thing. Yeah. Oh, dear. Rightio, then. Let's wrap this up, then, for Doctor Who and the Silurians. Whose turn oh, is it sorry. to go first? I can't remember. He's I think it's first. me this week to go first. Go on I in, get a bud. feeling I'm going to be slightly higher than you as well. I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. Um, nice. I, I just think it's a really good story, and I, I did enjoy it. Um, yeah, a bit of padding. I expected it, really. But I enjoyed it. So it was good. Good. An 8. Okay, I'm going to give this a 7. Oh, so okay. I'm, I'm a point lower than you, bud. But um, mm. I still feel this is a good watch. It's still a, you know, still a, a really good classic Who watch. It does give you really nice, nice, warm, classic vibes. Um, mm. that you'd expect from from this era of who and uh yeah it's it's a good watch um but i can't get any more than that personally just because i was a wee bit bored throughout some of the middle episodes and it's you know there's some padding there but otherwise fairly good fairly good right so then an eight from him a seven from me what did our what did our fans think our followers over on the socials and stuff so first of all over on twitter will sanger says this one is fantastic it's fantastic uh, the Silurians and humans' attitudes towards one another perfectly mirror each other, and the different outlooks within the Silurian race adds even more 
nuance. Also, great guest characters, and I really like the conflict between the Doctor and the Brigadier. Yeah. Tom Turlow says, I've not seen that many Pertwee stories, but I think I have seen this one. My memory tells me this is a typical Pertwee. All right, but a bit dull. Uh, some of the support characters are quite good, and it has its moments. My feeling watching this one is the same as when I watch any other Pertwee story. Wouldn't this be so much better if Tom Baker was the Doctor? Oh, oh Tom. that's not what I thought you were going to say. Tom. I was going to say an episode shorter. <laughs> Tom, I don't know. Would it have been... I don't know. Well, I think Pert was great in this. I think so, yeah. I mean, you could apply that theory mm. to most um, Doctors that you're a fan of, I guess. But mm. yeah, but Tom gives it a six out of ten, though. So not, not terrible. But yeah, wow, an interesting one there, Tom. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, Owen says, uh, Doctor Home says, one of the very best. The Silurians are an ingenious concept and the moral dilemma is so good it's been done again and again. A timeless classic that holds up to this day. Easily one of the best stories, full stop. A ten out of ten. A ten, my ah, word. Ten. We need a jingle for that as well, a little ding or something. <laughs> Dan Pin says, What a great creation the Silurians are, the forgotten masters of a long gone world. And now they've woken up and they want the earth back. Great sci fi concepts, heavily dipped in the real world, gritty and realistic. Lishore is great, just a couple of episodes too long, and eight out of ten. Jippy mm-hmm. yeah, T says, A few episodes too long due to a little padding. Pertwee is excellent, and the Silurians are a great enemy. Moral dilemmas abound. I say give them the earth back. Uh, yeah. Eight from me. They'd probably do a better job at this point, I think. They, would. they probably don't want it back after what we've done to well, it. Well, that's, yeah, that's an even better point, yeah. Edward Gillooly says, An absolute <laughs> classic. The Silurians have genuine reasons for their actions, and the humans at times seem like the monsters. It fills its seven episodes pretty well. I watched it during COVID, having forgotten that the Silurians release a plague. 8.5. The plague. plague. (laughs) Our writer Maria says, great story, although could lose one episode without spoiling too much. Enjoy. Thank you, Maria. Thanks, Maria. And lastly on Twitter, uh, Sarah Louise, the running Whovian, says, a great engaging story. The Silurians have a great screen presence and Liz Shaw Lesbridge Stewart and Pertwee's Doctor are all a pleasure to watch. Mere glimpses of the Silurians in some scenes added suitable trepidation and Pertwee's gurning faces will always make me laugh. (laughs) Eight out of ten. And she also says, also in part four, I note the Doctor reference being around for several thousand years. I have missed that on previous watches. Yeah, that's weird. I'd I'd never noticed that before. (laughs) Hmm. Um, Not sure how that works, because, yeah, he he goes back to being like 700, I think, with Tom Baker. I think the Doctor just lies about his age. We all do that. I was going to say, that's a common thing, right? Yeah, I'm only 28. Yes. Also, (laughs) did you notice that they did not cover up John Pertwee's arm tattoo. Oh, yes. I, yeah. yeah, I did make a note of that. I forgot about that. Yeah, wasn't that strange? He's got like a snake tattooed on his arm. I mean, I was weirdly shocked to see that. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, these days you have actors that are covered in tattoos, like, I don't know, um, Tom Hardy and stuff. And in certain roles, they just, yeah, there's Johnny Depp as well. They just cover them all up and away you go. So it's interesting that I didn't even attempt to cover it. It was just the Doctor has a tattoo when... The Fair play. Was a tattoo of a snake, and they were so they were so worried about being, you know, influencing like the younger audience back then. As you know, they they wouldn't let the Pertwee pick the lock of the door, for example, in this story, because you no, know, we don't want to set a bad example to the kids. Yeah. But they they yeah. don't try and cover up. He's got a tattoo. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I did notice it and I forgot yeah. to mention it. Yeah. Interesting. Thank you very much, Twitter followers. Uh, over to Facebook, Jeff Waddle says, "Far too padded out." 
and the virus and nuclear reactor storyline feels tacked on to fill the seven episodes. Good central concept, though, a hibernating race under the earth, and I certainly prefer the third eye to the design we have now. Uh, The book is superior, mainly because the T-Rex looks good in illustrations. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Six out of ten from Jeff. Uh, Toby Coleman says the story is a very odd watch in 2022, having actually experienced a virus spread. But overall, this is probably one of the most morally ambiguous stories in Doctor Who. Even the brig comes out of it badly. Uh, I assume he's referencing the end where he blows them all up. Yeah. So this is the Silurians at their best. And despite it being a bit slow and long, it really is a great watch. Eight out of ten. James Walsh has a classic, well acted by everyone and a fantastic grown up plot opposed to the previous season. The Silurians were great and I thoroughly enjoyed the way they used their third eye as a weapon. Ten wobbly heads out of ten. Another cool. 10. Gordon Hudson, my era. That makes me feel very old. A 9 out of 10 on story alone. One point off for the sets and costumes. Yes, I know. But even for this period, they are poor. Mm. Ah, Gordon. And lastly, Charlie Turner says, apart from the music, this story, like the, the, the rest of season seven, for the most part, deserves a 10 out of 10. And I think that Malcolm Hulk um, is perhaps to be the most underrated Doctor Who writer of all time, as he created... Uh, the Sea Devils as well, and stories like Frontier in Space and Colony in Space. Mm, that's uh, a good shout, actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, a bit of a long review from Charlie, but, um, yeah, a 10 out of 10 from Charlie. Ten and ten. Uh, as an inclusion to the Big Blue Box podcast reviews moving forward, Adam doesn't know about this, so I'm springing it on him now. Uh, mm. We've also got reviews coming from our Discord family. Oh, so Doc Haunt says, this story has some absolutely great performances from Pertwee and Courtney and some great moments. However, it drags heavily and the disease subplot and the seven episodes don't help add much. Sea Devils did the concept better and quicker, in my opinion, a 6.5 out of 10. Mm. Makes me want to watch the Sea Devils, actually. Yes. Mm. Yes. <laughs> you nicked their their voice from, from for your intro, didn't you? Because you always say, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I hadn't realised I was actually a sea devil. (laughs) Yeah. I've suspected it for a while. All right, then. So some pretty decent scores then, bud, on that one. Mm. We had a few tens, which is good. So I would say the average is probably an eight for this one. Yeah, Yeah. I would say so. Mm. Yeah. What are we doing next week? Oh, so next week we'll be back to plodding on through Torchwood Miracle Day. We are getting there. (laughs) Uh, We're starting to get into it. So after last week's soft porn gore fest, uh, we're going on to an episode called End of the Road. Except it's not the end because we've still got, what, another three episodes? Another two two after that one. Yeah, Two after that. But yeah, Miracle Day, End of the Road next week. So what will happen? Will we actually get any further into the story? We shall see. Yes. What's Angelo up to? oh yeah angelo yeah he's back yes so end of the road from torchwood miracle day next week and i think we'll wrap there then bud for episode 365 thank you thank you thank you so much i'm out of breath because i've been banging along and dancing and drumming on the desk for that hold on thank you very much for joining us for episode 365 it's been great to have you listening to our little podcast for another time like i said earlier if this is your first episode then i hope you've enjoyed welcome aboard and to the old timers the grizzled ancients the long timers welcome back it's been good to have you with us 
Um, so as Adam said, next week we'll be reviewing Tortured Miracle Day, End of the Road. So get your DVDs, Blu-rays, get them inserted and fired up or get your Brit box. Actually, no, Tortured is on iPlayer. So get that fired up and give that a watch because we'll be asking you for your thoughts and your scores as always next week for that. In the meantime, make sure that you follow and or subscribe to this podcast on your fave podcast app. We're on all of them, basically. So whatever you listen to, just do a search for the Big Blue Box podcast. You'll find us on there or head over to the website where you can also listen to our episodes for free on there. It's bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk. You can also check out all the reviews and articles from our writing team on the website as well. A really bunch of cool people um, who contribute to our content and very much appreciated. And they do some wonderful, wonderful writing. So go and check that out. We're on the socials too, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Links are on the website. Come and chat Doctor Who throughout the week and jump into our free Discord server as well. Remember to check out Adam's channel over on YouTube. It is, of course, The Geek's Handbag. Indeed, go and check out the channel. Also on all the socials, Facebook, Twitter and Insta. Insta. He's on the gram. You know who he is. I like the gram. Yeah, The Geek's Handbag. Go and check it out. Get a cup of tea, get comfy and do all the things. So until next week, my name's Gary. My name's Adam. And remember, in... Uh...